And you guys were on today. You guys were like going for it. So that was amazing. Yes, exactly. Well, we want to welcome everybody. We want to welcome everyone watching by live stream. We're very grateful that you would join us this morning. We believe God has something very special for you, just as he has every something special for all of you in the room. How do we know this? Because we've prayed for it. We've asked the Lord for it. And we're doing a, uh, by the way, I have to remind you this, those of you who are watching online that are part of Elevate Family, the giving link should be on the bottom of the screen. Your tithes and offerings during this season are very grateful. We're very grateful for and very much appreciated. And uh, our series is on Don't Quit. Different types of word in the Bible, right? One of the things the Bible tells us in Proverbs is that a word in season, like silver apple and golden apples in settings of silver. There's a word in season. There's a word. Different words are spoken at different times. But when there's a word that's spoken that's relative to the season that you're in, it's very refreshing. And I believe that the word that God has for us right now is on not quitting. If you're a Christian, quitting isn't an option. And if you know that. Change is an option, but quitting is not an option. God, God allows you to change and transform and adapt to the things that are necessary in order to bring about his purposes, but quitting is not an, is not an option. Perseverance is the believer's lifestyle. We're to live a life of faith, and we're to live a life of perseverance, not quitting. It says in Hebrews, they that draw back my soul has no pleasure in. We believe God. We're called to live by faith and to trust in the promises of God. This is what we're called to do, right? We're not called to just sit down and occupy. Christianity is not a passive faith. It is an active faith. It's a living faith. It requires us to participate and move within it. The kingdom only becomes active in our lives, and the power of God only moves in, in dimensions of our lives when we participate in it. Of everything that God does, God needs you. He does nothing without you. You can do nothing without him, and he will do nothing without you. It's always been God designed and created it from the very beginning as a partnership. On earth as it is in heaven. God walked with Adam in the garden. It was always a relationship. Man was to tend in the steward. Man was to advance the kingdom. All as God had shown him to do. So we're called to live by faith and trust in the promises of God. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus said to them, this is important. It is not, it is written that we, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. There are different words in the Bible. It's not just the Bible itself. The logos is one, one word for the word of God. Logos. So if you have a Bible or if you have a digital Bible, that's called the logos. Written words where we get the word logo, right? Written. So we have the logos word of God, the written word of God. We have the rhema word of God, the revealed word of God. It's where we get the understanding of revelation comes from the word rhema. It's when God gives you a scripture and something is revealed in you. When God gives you a promise and a word spoken to you and something is revealed into you. An insight, an understanding, something, a revelatory experience. That's another word for the Lord, a word of the Lord. And the third type of word is the Greek word prophe. And that's where we get the word prophetic. And so we are to live. We are not as Christians. A, we're not to quit. And we're to live not by bread alone. We don't live by natural means. We live by God's word. We live by what is written. We live by what is revealed. And we live by what is spoken over our lives. We are to live by those things. The word of God is instructional. There's nothing like God's word. The word of God is correctional. And the word of God is directional. So it instructs us. It corrects us. And directs us. It's very important. The word of God is filled with promises, filled with promises. 
So there's a promise for every circumstance and every situation. And God puts those promises in his word and he dares us to believe him. Second Peter said, we have been given great and precious promises through which we become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, we draw from the nature of God himself. We draw from the presence. Heaven is nothing without the Lord. The Lord is heaven. The Lord is the eternity. The Lord is all. There's nothing without him. Where he is, life is. Where he is not, there is no life. And so we activate, God said, by which the promises we draw from or release or experience the very nature of God himself through his promises. And so God wants you to believe him for his promises. There's a promise in his word and you need to believe him. There's a rhema, a revealed word, something God revealed to you. Lord, he showed you something. You had a highlight reel of your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever have a highlight reel of your future? That's a rhema word. Come on. I know you have. Okay? God showed you your future or you have this longing in you that there's something that you're supposed to do or you've had a glimmer of something or a dream or a desire of something. That's something that's revealed to you. We're to live towards those things. We're to, we're to live from them and we're to live towards them and we're to live towards that, those things with the intention of bringing those things to pass in partnership with the Lord. God doesn't give it to you without a purpose. He doesn't show you something Right. So I was telling first service like a dog. Right. You might, you know, we, OK, all animal lovers out there. Full disclosure. All right. And so we, we've all done it. So don't don't go. Act. I would never do that to anybody ever held like a pizza you know, toy or whatever. And the dog bites and you're just doing it just to see him jump. Right. I mean, you eventually give it to him. Right. Or like, you know, you with a sock, you know, kind of thing like that. Um, God's not like that. He doesn't hold something over our head just for us to jump and keep it out of reach where we can't get it. I used to have a cat, right? So we had a cat. And so why we didn't, the cats, cats, you can hold anything over a cat. The cat's just kind of looking at you like, what, what, what do you want me to do with that? But I had a laser pointer. Oh, happy day. And I could move that cat around the entire house with a laser pointer, right? And so the cat would jump walls and everything. But God isn't someone who, who, who plays with us with something with no intention of ever having it. The cat, the cat would put, could, I'd put the laser in front of her and she'd be trying to get it. And then she'd realize I can't get that laser. And then she'd go over and lay down. And then I'd wait a couple minutes, and then I'd turn the laser on again, and she'd go right back at it. So, you know. <laughs> anyway, pray for me. We are supposed to believe God for something. God has every intention of fulfilling what he says. Every intention. If God said it, he intends to, fu- for, to, to fulfill it. We have to believe God for something to activate our faith in every circumstance. I used to have a guy, when I first came to Christ, we were at this church, and I had a big businessmen's group at this church. And so I'm a young guy and I'm trying to get her, you know, figure all this stuff out. And I'm sitting around there and there would be a guy that every time I almost didn't want to see him when I saw him because he'd come up and he'd smack the table and he'd go, what you working on big? What you working on big? And I was like 20 years old, like uh, nothing. You know, I don't know. What am I working on big? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But he would always ask me that. What you working on big? What you working on big? God's a big guy. Got to work on something big. Got to go for something big. He would always tell me that. And as I got older, and as I walked with the Lord, I realized that that is a very important part. God wants you to believe him for something. He wants you to believe him for something. Without faith, it's impossible. The faith isn't just a survival mode tactic. Well, I just got to have faith that I can just hold on. Faith is experiential. Faith is an invitation to an encounter and to an experience at another level. That's what God is calling us towards. That you, that, that you are my daughter. You are my son. This is your inheritance. You can be the head and not the tail. You can be above only and not beneath. You can. This is what he's telling you. Not for the sake of you, but for the sake of him. 
You're not, at the, you're not the head because you're, God wants you to be this glowing rock star. You're the head because God wants you to reflect him into the arena that he made you the head of. It's all about Jesus. But we believe God and we activate our promises in that direction. Well, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. The world has a lot of problems. The victorious power of the believer is only activated by faith. You will never, ever experience the victorious life of Jesus or the promises of God or the inheritance of the believer if you do not apply faith. You must apply faith. The overcoming power of the believer, according to this word, is by faith. This is that what overcomes the world. Faith. What is faith? Believing in and trusting in the promise of God. Being so convinced you're willing to take an action. That's faith. Faith is not passive. Faith is active. Faith is. Faith is present. Now faith is. Faith is in the present. Faith is in Faith is believing God for the promises, trusting in the promises, and moving into the promises. Every promise has an instruction attached to it. So I'm going to rattle some people. I'm sure somebody's going to get upset with me over this, but it's true. There's no such thing as an unconditional promise. No such people go, salvation's unconditional. No, it's not. Who told you that? You must give your life to Christ. In order to activate salvation, there's a condition that must be met. You must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead. And if you will do that, you'll be saved. Then you activate the promise that's attached. But until you meet the condition to the promise, the the promise does not become activated. We teach this here a lot. Every promise in God's word has a principle of activation attached to it that requires your obedience. Everyone, given it shall be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. God caused to pour into your bosom. That's a pretty broad promise. What activates it? Giving. That's what activates it. So all of these different principles, and there's tons of promises. The Bible is filled with promises. And if God made a promise to someone in the scripture, he can make that same promise to you because God is no respecter of persons. What he has done for one, say this with me. God has no, Jesus says, has, does not have favorites. He has intimates. That's right. No such thing as favorites. But there are intimates. There are those who want to get closer. Peter liked to sit at the table. John wanted to put his head on his chest. Big difference. Right? The other ten just were happy to be in the room. Peter's like, I'm beside him. My sword, ready to rock, you know? John's like, that's not good enough for me. I want to hear his heart. So John had his head on his chest. The other ten, what do we read about them? They're just like, hey, man, we're here. We're just happy to be in the room, you know? (laughs) Jesus doesn't have... Who saw Jesus' return? Who was the one who wrote the book of Revelation? Who saw the revealing Christ at the end of the age? Who saw that? John. Why? He wanted to know his heart. He wanted the intimacy. Peter didn't see... He saw some great stuff. Peter didn't see that. <laughs> he said, you want to know my heart? This is my heart. The consummation of all things. That's my heart. My heart is the, is, is the end of all sin drying of every eye, the destruction of all that is opposing me, and the fruition of my kingdom and my sons and daughters joining me. You want to know my heart? There it is. Making all things new. Palingenesia is the Greek word. I love that word. Anytime I can stick that word in there, I do. Palingenesia. Greek word for the renewal of all things. He makes all things new. 
the, gen- the regeneration of everything. You're going to get a new body. That's a regeneration. Right? You know, if you're like 22 years old and you're fit and you're just coming from the gym, you're like, I don't know if I want a new body. I'm pretty happy with the one I have. Well, just wait about 25 years, bro, and you're going to be going, when's that new body coming? Oh, come on. The Bible says we will be given immortality. We'll put on immortality. Corruption will put on incorruption. Not just going to be in the spirit. You're going to get a, you're going to get a body that endures into everlasting. What does that look like? I have no idea. Adam had it before he fell. Adam was not created to die. When Adam took the tree and left this position, then he then death entered. Right? He was immortal. Adam was immortal. Jesus is immortal. Jesus returned in a physical body, didn't he? Put your hands on my side. Put your thing here. He was he was physical. We do not know what we shall be like, but we know that when he comes, we will be like him. Jesus is the divine representation in heaven for all of eternity of the human race. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Jesus identifying with you for the rest of eternity. We'll see angels. We'll see living creatures. We'll see the Father. We'll see the atmosphere and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll see things, wonders beyond wonders. But the king himself, it will represent a class of beings that's very dear to him. And that's us. Who does that? Who's like this? He gave it all to be with you. He's worthy of it all, we sing. Nothing we should withhold from him. Everything belongs to him. All for Jesus. That in all things, the Bible says, Christ may have the preeminence. That in everything, he may have first place. Everything he has, he is preeminent. In every area and every sphere of my life, Lord, you are the preeminent one. What overcomes the world is our faith. How do we do it? We find a promise. We obey the instruction. There's a correction we need to correct. And then we need to move in the direction of the promise with faith and perseverance. You find a promise. God's got a promise for you. Find one. Find one. Okay? Talked about marriage a few weeks ago. I got some good feedback on it. I ministered a little long in in, in between services about marriage. But the singles were happy that I did. And so I was telling you how to believe God for a, for, for a mate. And one of the, if you want to be married, it's not, it's not human. It's given in your heart by God. God. You were created. If you don't want to be married, then it's probably something else. But if you have a desire to be married, and we were talking about that. And I was talking about the different promises that Sherry and I came together. And as we were you know, engaged in everything, each of us had a different promise. And her promise was this word from Isaiah. That God will marry her and that I'm going to bring you into a beautiful land and I will call you Beulah, which means married or espoused. And I had, a ver- I had a word that was related to Isaac. Isaac meditated in the field and he looked up and there was Rebecca coming at him. And so I took that story and I began to pray. Holy Spirit, I don't want to look for her. Because that's the, that's the image. Abraham sent his servant to go and find a bride, his son. You get the imagery here? The father with the firstborn son, the servant, the spirit, moving forward to bring the bride forth to the son. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an image. On purpose, it's an image. And so Isaac was meditating in the field. He was thinking about the Lord, doing Jesus' stuff in his presence. And he looked up and here comes. So that's what I, that's what I did. I literally believed that God was going to bring her to me. He's going to put her right in front of me and I'm going to open my eyes and she's going to be there. And if I could tell you the story, that's exactly what happened. You guys want to hear the story? Okay, all the romantics in the room. Yeah, come on. Oh, Harlequin this morning. So, uh, like, the, the story is, is, like, I was, I was helping her, and she, we were always friends. We were friends for a long time. 
weird stuff going on, like kind of like ambiguous kind of, do you like me? I don't know. Do you like me? I'm not sure either. I don't know what's going on here. But I, I ended up helping her mother, and I went over to her mother's house, and I started helping her mother. Her mother needed a bunch of work done. I, at the time, was a contractor. That's right, carpenter, whatever. But I was, I was doing some stuff for her mom, and Sherry kept coming over um, every day, right? <laughs> Randomly, out of the blue. And I'd be like, hey, what's going on? I was like, oh, I'm just in the neighborhood. And, and uh, we started going to lunch. And then we started having dreams, different dreams. We, she'd have a dream, and I'd have a dream. She'd go, did you have a dream last night? I was like, yeah. And she goes, was I in it? And I'm kind of like, uh, sort of. And I go, why? And she goes, because I had a dream, and you were in it. And I was like, okay. Then we started showing up to church, and we were wearing the same clothes. I'd have red on. She'd have red on. And this went on so much that I remember one time I walked in the side door of this church we were at. So it would be like I'm coming through this door and she was coming through this door. And I remember that day because I had a green shirt, right? Okay, all my clothes she threw out when I got married. So I'm not claiming, I'm not claiming fashion on this one. But I had a green shirt. I remember the morning that I was going to get dressed. And I just felt in my heart that I should, I just felt like, wear the green shirt. So I threw the green shirt on. And I came walking in the church that morning. And she literally, I, I walk in. I'm just like, do 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 in and I look over and she's looking at me and she's got her mouth open and she's in a green dress. Yeah, so it was pretty wild. And then I was over to her house and you know we had been to a couple of different events together before and I was fixing something at mom's house and we we're gonna you know she's over here she's sitting on a couch we went to lunch a few times down that time and I'm fixing the stereo and she said Kevin do you remember this time and whatever blah 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 and she said you remember when this happened and she goes at any time in that during that time did you ever like me and I'm putting this is back when you had speaker wires I'm putting so I'm pretending like I'm putting speaker wires in the speaker so I'm putting speaker wires in the speaker because we're trying to I'm trying to play music and she goes did you ever at any time like me and I went like this and like literally I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Like, when I looked up, it was like, ah. I was, like, really disoriented when that happened. But if to be true, like, it happened exactly as, the, as, the, as I had believed God for. That I'm going to lift up my eyes and she's going to be in front of me. That was the promise that I believed God for. And so my point to you is like finding promises in your in his word and believing God. And so what was the condition to that promise? I'm going to do it for you. The Lord says you meditate on me. You focus on me. And that was what I was trying to do. Right. And her mom, you know, was a bunch of house repairs. Her mom had been widowed. There's a bunch of stuff going on at her house. And I'm reading in the Bible, you know, take care of the fatherless, the widow and the orphan. So I'm like, oh, she's widowed. I'll go help her. You know, and I'm like, and she's like, I can't pay you. I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. I'll do it for free. You know, I'll help you out. It's not a big deal. And so I went over there and I was just doing it for free. Why? I wasn't doing it free because I was such a nice guy. I was doing it for free because the Lord said, take care of the widow, the fatherless and in, in, in the, um, uh, the outcast. Take care of those people. Be mindful of those people. And so I was meditating, trying to do the things that God would have me to do. And Jesus paid me with, with, uh, with her daughter. So I got paid, but uh, in, a, in a much better way than money. So I got the better end of that deal to this day. So I, my point to you is, is that find a promise in the word of God and believe him. And believe him, right? So on the marriage front, there's lots of them. Lots of them. Romance is all through the Bible. Right? That's all through the scripture. You do the one with Song of Solomon. She came to visit, he came to visit her in the night. She's like, I can't come out. My hairs are in curl. I got my nightgown on. You got to give me a few minutes. And Solomon got tired of waiting and put myrrh on the door and he left. You could say, I want a guy who's wait, who will wait for me. Who has, I want, when, when you make that person known to me, this is the person who will wait for me. 
who will not violate me or create or, or step into a doorway that he, he that he's not and that he will respect me and put myrrh on the door. You know, you could believe God for something like that. You could be like Boaz, right? We use that story a lot. Ruth and Boaz. What did what happened with Ruth and Boaz? Everybody think it was Boaz. It wasn't Boaz. It was not Boaz. It was Ruth. Okay? You got to read the story. Ruth was gleaning with the gleaners, and she put herself in the eye line of Boaz. So Boaz would be on a horse or something. He's cruising around his field, checking on. They would let of the field go uncut so the poor could glean the field. Isn't God good? That's what God commanded them. You will leave the corners of your field uncut that the poor and the, and the outcasts can glean from your fields. You can cut the center of the field, but the four corners, you don't cut. Let the poor glean. That's what he would say. And so Ruth was gleaning with the gleaners. And if anything fell on the ground, so if it was corn and something fell on the ground, they were to leave it so that animals could glean. And, you know, it was a you know, kind of like that. And so Ruth was gleaning with the gleaners. This has nothing to do with my message, by the way. Ruth was gleaning with the gleaners, and she would put herself in the sight of Boaz. So Boaz would be cruising. He'd turn to the right, and Ruth would be like, <laughs> whatever. And then she goes home, and Naomi starts talking to her. And he, Naomi's saying, hey, I think this is the Lord. Let's explore. And it says, and here's another one. Ruth bathed. She took a bath, right? She put on, not to say that she didn't take a bath. The Bible's indicating that she dressed herself and prepared herself, right? She made herself pretty. She made herself presentable, not just to see, not just to catch his eye, but to be, you know, like, then he's really, he's like, who's that? Wow, who is that over there? You know? And so it was, it's kind of like that. So it's like, you know, like, believe God for something like that and believe God for that and say, Lord, let me catch the eye of the person that you have for me. Prepare yourself. Get to make yourself presentable. There's lots of promises in the Bible. And if you will meditate on those promises and say, Lord, give me one of those promises, whatever it is, right? Sherry just had this, out, this open promise from the Lord that she was, God's going to make her married. I had something a little more specific. So whether it's specific or generic, if it's specific, begin to believe God and begin to, begin to put yourself in the position of where those promises and how those things came to pass. How did that come to pass? What was going on here? What was Ruth doing? What was Ruth not doing? What was, you know, what, what, what was Isaac, what was Isaac not doing? Right? Or you might do Eve. Here's another one. Here comes the bride. That's why the father gives away the bride, right? Because of Genesis. That's the whole reason. It's not because the father's giving away the bride and we think that'd be a good idea. The father gave away the first bride, the heavenly father. He brought Eve to Adam. Lord, I want you to hand walk me and to the person. And when you present me, I want him to say, whoa, man. Okay. That's what Adam said when he saw her. He's like, whoa, man, your name's going to be Eve. I want him to call me by a new name. I want him to call me something I've never been. I want him to see the hope in me. I want him to see something in me that he's never seen before. And I want, you know, whatever that trigger is, whatever that sign is, whatever that is. Yeah. Believe God for a promise. Find a promise. Believe God for him. That's what he did. Eve didn't know she was Eve. Adam called her Eve. Mother of all. Life giver. That's what he said. He's like, you're a life giver. So a woman here, she got married. She said, Lord, she said there was something going on in college. And all of her friends were believing God. They were at a Christian school. And they were all believing God for uh, a word. And one of her friends got married. And, um, and the Lord, and she said she had been asking God, give me a word that this, when I meet my husband, I know who he is. And 
she didn't tell this to uh, Stephanie. Stephanie's the gal's name, Robin Stephanie. She didn't tell it to Stephanie. So Stephanie's friend gets married. And she said, how is that happening? How is that working? All this stuff. And she said, well, I was believing God. And there was a whole group of girls believing God. And God had told them specific things, but they didn't tell anyone. And after this girl got married, she said, what was the promise to you? And she said, the man that marries you will give you a penny. Seems weird, right? And she was at the zoo or someplace. They were all handing out. And the guy um, went to one of those penny machines. Yeah, right? And cranks the penny thing. And, you know, she said there was a bunch of people. And he walked up and he goes, here, I just want to give you this. I feel like this is for you. He gave it to her. She ended up marrying that dude. And so Stephanie's like, I want a promise. I want a promise. And so she felt like the Lord said, if you're watching, Stephanie, I'm totally butching your story. But um, she went to... She's going to go, yeah, it kind of happened like that. Not entirely, but she, she said she believed God. And she said, the man that you marry will call you his best friend. That's what she said. Tell anybody. She was dating a guy. He was dating another girl. And uh, I guess her husband, her future husband, Rob, came over to talk to somebody. And they weren't there. And Stephanie was there. And he goes, well, hey, well, why don't you come with me? There's nobody else coming. And then um, uh, and they're walking. She said they're walking down the hallway of the dorm and he goes, you know, Stephanie, I just, man, I just really, I have always have a good time with you. I just, I like hanging out with you. You're just a lot of fun. He's like, you, she's like, you're, you're like, you're, you're like my best friend. And Stephanie said she pushed him. She went, shut up. And she like shoved him. So it's a funny story. And she ended up marrying him. She ended up marrying him. I'm telling you, we're people of faith, man. We're people of faith. We believe God for a promise. We do not operate according to a natural world. We operate according to a supernatural world. And these are the things that will course through our lives. The problem is we don't let them. We don't meet the condition of the promise. We don't pursue it with perseverance or we give up. Never quit. That's the idea. Never quit. Devil wants you to quit. That's what he does. He wants you to quit. It's easy to quit. Quitting is easy. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast to confession. Put a firm grip on the confession of your hope. Without wavering, for the one who's promised is faithful. God is faithful to his promises. He said, lay hold of a promise and speak it. You don't have to speak it to the world, but speak it to yourself. Speak it in the mirror. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen. The Lord said it's going to happen. Every circumstance is against you right now, isn't it? The whole environment, all the dreams and the visions and all the risks that you've taken and you brought it forward and everything is telling you no. But the Lord's told you yes. So everything's telling you it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You don't have to, you don't have to like tell everybody, but you got to tell you, you got to tell you <laughs> and you got to tell the devil when he's talking to you, let's hold fast the profession of your faith for the one who's promised is faithful. Hold on to it. Grip it. Don't let it go. How long do I have to wait? Bible says this Ephesians six stand and stand again. <laughs> Having done all stand and then stand again. Therefore, girding yourself with armor, saying, stand and wait. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, while you're waiting, put some armor on. That's what we're saying. We wait and we wait again. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, full of assurance. Hebrews 6, 11, of hope to the end that we are to be diligent. God's given us a promise. We meet the conditions of the promise. We pursue the promise with faith and perseverance. And we're diligent. And we, feel, we stay diligent with assurance of hope until the end. And that we not become lazy. It's given us a lot of instructions here. But imitate those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promise. It tells you you inherit the promise. and also gives you a condition of how it's done. How is the, how is the promise inherited? 
through faith and perseverance. Isn't that what he said? He's telling you. Have diligence. Be assured with hope. Keep going until the end. Don't become lazy and keep pursuing it with faith and perseverance. You will inherit the promise. Our problem is we give up. I told, I've, I've told this for the last couple of weeks. The devil is more convinced of God's promises than we are. Did you know that? He is more convinced that God's promise is true than you are. And if you work as convinced as you say you are, you wouldn't quit. This is why the devil wants you to quit. Because he knows that a promise of God, attached by faith, pursued with obedience, faith, and perseverance will come to pass. He knows it. He absolutely knows it. That's why he tries to get you to quit. He's convinced. He knows that that's what's going to happen. Then at the end, that promise will manifest. Turn void. The word will accomplish and fulfill what it is sent to do. The promise will manifest if it is received by faith, pursued with obedience and perseverance. He's convinced. Are you? That's why he's trying to get you to quit. You only lose if you quit. We're in well-doing. For in due season, you will, you, will, you will reap if you faint not. It's an amazing concept. If the devil wasn't convinced that God's promise was real, he wouldn't try to get you to quit. He wouldn't. But he knows it's real. That's why he's trying to stop you. Perseverance. It's the word makrotima in the Greek. And it means passion. Earnest desire. Staying power. Holding power. It's a passion. What enables us to have perseverance? What enables us to have diligence? The desire for it. That's what enables you to stand. Bartimaeus, Jesus, this is a great story. This is another one that's worthy of looking at over and over and over again. Bartimaeus is on the roadside. Jesus is walking by. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus keeps going. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus keeps going. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus keeps going. And the people go, shut up, dude. He doesn't want to hear you. And Bartimaeus cried out. When the cry reached his heart, when the cry came from the passion and the desire of his heart, and he spoke from that place, Jesus heard. He cried out all the more. And when he cried out all the more, when it mattered to Nicodemus, or excuse me, when it mattered to Bartimaeus, then it mattered to Jesus. Until it matters to you, it doesn't matter to him. He kept right on going. Read the story. Read the story. But when he cried out with passion, and he earnestly knew it, and he said, then Jesus walks up to him. This is an amazing thing. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus assumes nothing. He goes, what do you want me to do for you? The brother's got a rag under his eyes, right? He's got a rag tied around his eyes. He's sitting on the ground with a tin cup, probably banging it on the ground. Jesus is the healer, the son of God, the light of the world. And he looks at the blind man and goes, what would you like me to do? Do you understand that? He doesn't do for you what you don't want him to do. He will not do for you. He's not just going to do it by default. You have not because you ask not. He didn't ask. Citizen said, what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? I'd like a new suit. Okay, hey, get this guy a new suit. Walk away. You know? Jesus asked this man, what do you want? The big principle there. The passion and the desire of the heart is what turned Jesus' head. He was crying and Jesus, you don't think Jesus knew he was there? Of course he knew he was there. He'd probably seen him a hundred times. Probably in and out of the town, Bartimaeus had heard of him. And he's like, he's passing by the road. Hey, hey over here. Hey, you're in a good mood today, Jesus. Look my way. This is how we are. Oh, if you're not too busy, have pity on me. Poor wretched sinner that I am. 
Oh, I'm crippled. Poor me. Poor me. Focuses on pity. Focuses on self. Not passion in what God's power will do. The passion is what gives the staying power. The desire is what gives the staying power. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The passion set before him, Jesus was able to endure the suffering. For a vision greater than the moment, Jesus was able to endure the suffering and not quit. You have to have a vision that's greater than the moment that you're in, or you will quit. I will say that again. You have to have a vision that's greater than the moment that you're in, or you will quit. You will quit. So ready? So macrotima, passion, earnest desire, staying power, holding power. That's what perseverance means. Let it matter to you. Does that promise matter to you? Does it matter to you to where the, like, literally the very pores of your skin are going to erupt if you can't get it? Does it matter to you like that? Where you feel like you're going to explode? Where you're willing to do anything and everything at any time to obtain what God has told you to do? That you will earnestly yield and lean into the instruction that he has for you? And that nothing is sacred? There's not a sacrifice you won't offer? There's nothing that you won't withhold? The price of revival is dignity. You heard me say that a hundred times. Bartimaeus had to risk his dignity. Shut up, Bartimaeus. You're embarrassing yourself. He didn't care. He cried out all the more. <laughs> Interesting. The woman with the issue of blood risked her dignity. She, had to get down. she got down on her hands and knees. She crawled. She had to reach the hem of his garment. There's a crowd around him. How do you reach the hem of his garment? She got down and crawled. More than likely. She had to risk indignity. Jesus said, who touched me? She's probably pointing at I think it was one of these people. And then she said it was me. He said, daughter, you have what you asked for. She knows who she knew who she was. She knew who he was. She was a daughter. She said, that inheritance is mine. Healing is in his wings. Son of righteousness, healing in his wings. That inheritance belongs to me. That is a promise to my people. I want the healing that's in his wings. And it matters to me to the point that I will risk my dignity to get it. <laughs> Good. He danced in what? Huh? He didn't even dance in tights. The brother's dancing in his underwear. Huh? Read it. He took off all of his outer garments and danced in his underwear, leaping and dancing and praising God. And the Lord said, after my heart right there, his wife said, oh, how the king was uncovered today. How you shamed you and your family. And there's a big story behind that, which I won't get into. The answer is important. He said it was before the Lord. And if this indignity brings him glory, then I will be even more undignified than this. <laughs> I said revival is dignity. I'm telling you now. We honor dignity in our world. It's all about dignity, looking good, feeling good, you know, whatever. Nobody's got a problem in our churches. Everybody's fine. Everybody's good. Everybody's well. And our scent remains. We're no different. Instagram church, man. We all look good. That's our highlight reel. Sunday's the highlight reel. Yeah, it's either the highlight reel or it's the woe is me. It's either where we're at. It's just, it's the real reel. Just be real. You know, to create atmospheres where that stuff's where that stuff's accepted, where it's like we understand these things. No, no one's we, look. We're all equal before Christ. We laugh with those who are laughing. We celebrate with those who are celebrating. You know, we're not against anybody. We're all together. You know, praise God. Got a promotion. Praise God. Talk to a guy this week. He's got a huge blessing. I gave him a word a year and a half ago. And I said, this is what I see that's going to happen to you. You're going to, this is, this is going to come to you and you're managing something. 
That's very large. I told him specifically what it was. I won't get into it because I want to put him out there. But I told him you're going to be managing something like that. And what he just told me today, it's twice what I told him it was going to be. It's double. I said, I told you. I said, I told you. I see you're going to be in charge of this very large pool of things. And I said, because you, you made a vow to the Lord, put faith attached to the vow, and in the faithfulness to the vow, and you've committed yourself in the small things, I said, God will entrust you with much. And I said, with what you say means it? I said, Jesus, I'll give it to you, if you mean what you say. But you must be faithful in the little things, and you'll be entrusted with much. And he, I had a word for him. I said, man, I just see you, you're, 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 you're just in control of this pool of money, you know? And you're moving it in and out, and moving it in and out, and moving it in and out. Believe God for his word. Ready? Everybody hold the chair. Say it with me. The word will be challenged. The word will be challenged. That's right. God gives you a word, gives you a promise. It will be challenged. Mark it down. Don't expect otherwise. See, here again, this is our, this is our mentality. Well, if it was God's will, Kevin, it wouldn't be that hard. Who told you that? If it was God's will, God, where God guides, God provides. God doesn't lead us into these situations. Really? I, they, they don't tell me that anymore. I used to have people tell me that stuff. I'm like, read your Bible. Jesus sent them to the other side. said they went into a storm and they rode contrary. Did Jesus send them into the storm? I'm sorry. Yes, he did. Did Jesus not know there was a storm? I'm sorry. Yes, he did. The, did Jesus not know that the wind was contrary? He was sending them into a contrary wind. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. The word will be tested. It will be challenged. The devil's going to try to steal your joy. He's going to try to steal your hope. And in the end, he wants to steal your faith. He knows that faith upon the promise that is pursued in obedience and with perseverance will activate. He knows it. He absolutely knows it. Our problem is you keep disqual- what we do as believers, we disqualify ourselves through a series of start, stops, start, stop, start, stop. And we keep disqualifying ourselves and we keep delaying the process. What would happen if you just put a stick in your teeth and, you know, and just said, I'm going for this and I don't care if it kills me, I'm going in on this. And I don't care. I will not waver. I've wavered a thousand times. I'm not going to waver again. I won't waver. Mark 15, Satan came immediately to take a word that was sown where? In the heart. When the word, God speaks a word and says, your today, your tomorrow is better than your today. You're going to whatever. I don't know what he's saying to you, but you're going to, you're, this is going to be, this is going to be the best year you have ever had. You are going to break through like you've never broken through. You're going to have opportunities like you've never had. And then the devil comes and starts pointing to the environment, starts pointing to the circumstances. Starts pointing to the situation and starts trying to get you to move off of the in your heart. We partner with lies. The enemy comes to steal the faith that was sown into your heart. If you need reassurance of the word that God spoke, go back to him. He'll reassure you. Lord, did you say that? Yeah, I told you that. Yeah, I told you. If Jesus told you, you can have it. He's not going to tell you. He's not, he's not an Indian giver. He doesn't look at you and go, hey, I'm going to give this to you. Oh, you know what? I, had a, I, I don't know what I was saying last night. I, I was in the spirit, hind. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I got to back up on that. I got to back up on that promise I made to you. He never does. He never does. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. 
Satan comes immediately to take away the word. When tribulation and persecution rise because of the word, people stumble. Persecution arises because of the word. God says this over your life. This is a promise you've made. This is a calling you have over your life. Whatever it may be. And there's an immediate, there's an immediate trial. Now I'm going to help more. It's my job to help you out a little more. To change the way that you think by the renewing of your mind. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to let you marinate on it. I'll, I'll be, I can duck if you want to throw something at me. I can, I can, I can move. Say this with me. Satan has no power. He has rights. He doesn't have power. He has rights. He had no power over Adam until he got Adam to move off the point. Until he got Adam to move out of position. Until he got Adam to make an agreement. He had no power whatsoever. Zero. No power. The devil has no power. He has rights. You say, what am I experiencing? This is what happens. Right? So we have, well, the devil's attacking me. So I'm going to give you some clues here as to why things happen in your life. And the reason that I'm doing this is that the theology that has come into the church in the modern era is completely wrong. It's wrong. It's as if the devil just walked away and just evaporated. The devil was raptured or sent to hell eternally in 21st century, and he doesn't exist in our churches anymore. We never mention him. You know, Bible says, be not ignorant of the devil nor his devices. The Bible says, give him not a foothold. Why? Because he works from the foothold. He has no rights. He had no right over Adam until he got Adam out of position. He had no right over Job. He claimed a right over Job. When he, when he exercised power over Job, his claim to Job was Job has no relationship. Job worships you out of religion. Does Job serve for nothing? His service to you is religious. That's the accusation. He serves you only for what he can get. And he serves you out of pretense. And I demand the right to challenge it. And he got it because he had the right. Well, God allowed it. What the Lord God allowed? He allowed. He doesn't allow anything that is not in line with the law of the spirit. Everything is by legal authority. You're born again by legal authority. He has no legal claim. When you die, you'll see the legal authority that's over your life. Satan cannot claim you because the legal authority of Christ now claims you. You're claimed of the Lord. The enemy claims right. He has no power without rights. Satan said to Jesus said to Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you come back around, you're going to strengthen your brothers from the experience. What Peter should have said is what right does he have to claim the right to sift me? He's claiming a right to sift me. What was his what was Peter's problem? Peter's problem was self-sufficiency. Job's problem was religion. Religion. Nobody reads the book of Job. I've read it several times. But if you read it, it seems like a bunch of nonsense. Unless you understand what the point of the book is. The point of the book for the first chapter and the last chapters are the bookends. And that's where all the meaning is. The rest of it is pontificating nonsense. It's a bunch of men pontificating on who God is and how he is and why he is. And I think this and I think that and I think this. So the Lord in the front reveals and the Lord in the back of the book reveals. Job's relationship with God was purely religious. Relationship didn't happen with Job until the end. All middle of the book. Job's sitting around in a, in a religious kumbaya. You know? And they're all having religious conversations about who God is and how they think he is. And the Lord says, you don't know me at all. Who is this that darkens my counsel? Who speaks empty words without knowledge? Sit up like a man and answer me now if you can. 
That's when it began. And the Lord said, how much rain do I have in my storehouse? Where have you not laid the foundations of the world? Where he begins to ask Job incredible questions that had everything to do with relationship. In other words, Job, you don't know me. You speak of me, but you don't know me. Huh? He worshiped God out of religion and the devil claimed the right. And that's the principle of the entire book. Is the devil's right over that person because he claimed religion. That's right. He sacrificed in all the religious ways. He made sure everything was correct. And just in case he missed something, he sacrificed a little more. Religious pretense. Empty words without knowledge. Why did God accept Job? The Bible says this. I love this verse. A lot of Christians could benefit from this verse. Job says, I put my hand over my mouth. I speak as a fool. A lot of people, when it comes to Jesus, should benefit from that and put your hand over your mouth because you speak as a fool. Don't speak of him if you don't know him. You don't know him. That's what he told Job. I just gave you 36 chapters, Job. 36 chapters. That's a huge. If you know the Bible, you know, Corinthians isn't 36 chapters. (laughs) He gives like 30 plus chapters to men arguing with themselves. And that's why when you read it, it's like, what, what does this mean? It's nonsense. Why, what are these guys talking about? And the Lord's like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I give him this much room to make nonsense and look at me. I'm going to make you sense in the whole thing. He sifted Peter. What was Peter's claim? Self-sufficiency. All may desert you, Lord, but I won't. The devil goes, really? I claim the right. He, Peter claims self-sufficiency. He claims he doesn't need you. He claims he has the strength within himself. And I demand the right to test it. And tested he was. Oh, it's getting real. This is how I'm telling you this is how this game is played. The devil has no power, he has rights. Instead of going, woe is me, poor me, oh, why are you doing this to me, God? That's not the question. What right does the enemy have to do this to me? I'm a son of the highest. I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. The promises in the kingdom and the anointing of the most high God. I am clothed with glory. What right does that fallen being have to trespass upon me? Who is this Philistine? Huh? Who is this Philistine? There's visitation and there's habitation. Where's the devil operating? I always tell you, look for the wasteland. Look for the visitation. Look for the habitation. The devil's attacking me. If the devil's attacking you, it's a storm that goes over you. That's it. That's an attack. It just blows on by. Because he has no strength to sustain it. He has no right to hold. He has nothing by which he can build into. But if he has a right, he will visit you and leave. Visit you and leave. Visit you and leave. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's visitation. Then there's habitation. There's something in your life that you know is not of God. And you know it's of the devil. And you can't get rid of it. He has a right of visitation and he has a right of habitation. If you're being attacked, it just blows over you like a storm because he has no root in to hold himself. He has no anchor point. The right is what gives him the anchor point. Just a thought. And our theology is, well, if God wanted you to have it, you'd have it. Well, wait a minute. God told me I could have it. If he told me I could have it, the question isn't, Lord, you told me I could have it. Yeah, I told you you could have it. Then why don't I have it? Crickets. He doesn't answer why prayers. He doesn't answer why prayers. He expects you to be an adult. He expects you to be mature. Jesus has so much confidence in you. Understand the principles that he's spoken of. He expects you to understand spiritual warfare. 
Oh, we're not in our baby churches anymore. Cotton candy. I mean, it's how we are. We're sons and daughters of the living God. We are lions. We are a pride of lions. We are eagles. We are masters of our domain. That's how he claims us. That's what we are. Then we need to act like it and we need to be master of the domain. Master of the heights and master of the earth. Eagles and lions. That's how he portrays us. <laughs> the eagle is the master of the air. The lion is the master of all the ground. King of the beasts. Okay? That's who we are. He doesn't say, oh, you guys are a bunch of chipmunks. You know. Squirrel keeps taking your nuts. I don't know what to tell you. You're just a chipmunk. He said, no, you're a lion. He expects us to understand spiritual authority and not ask why prayers. The prayer is not why. The prayer is what right does the enemy have? What right has been given over me that I, that's withheld from me? Here's the other thing. When something's withheld, oh, it's not God's time. It's not God's time. Who told you that? If God gave me a now word, then it's a now word. Now word. If it's a Kairos word, Kairos word. It either is or it isn't. Listen, I've done this for years. I accepted that. I come from this world, man. I come from the caste that thinks like this. I was like, something's not right here. The way we're thinking here, this doesn't like actually line up. It's the enemy. It's the devil. The question, why? The question, what right does he have? He claims disobedience over you. Based upon what? Based upon this. He claims this. He claims that. And if you see it ancestrally, then guess what? It's in your ancestral line. You see something on you that was on Uncle Bill or Grandpa Jim or, you know, whoever. If you see something like that up to the third and fourth generation, that's a right of visitation. It may be a habitation with visitation, but that's a right that's in your generational lines. And you can know for sure that's generational. Oh, it's genetic. Is it? Is it? I, 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 don't, I don't think it is. Just a thought. So we have to remove these things. God expects us to know what we're doing. The promise is a door to encounter. Here it is. I've set before you, the Lord has set before me a great and effective door. Jesus is telling 1 Corinthians. I'm going to go a little long. You guys all right? I mean, I'm like, if you got to go, you got to go. I'm going to go maybe. Um, ugh, Jesus, pray for me. Shouldn't have told you about marriages. There's an open door, but there will be adversaries. The word of God, this is the next slide. Uh, the word of God will be answered. So not only will the word be promised, the word, the, the word, will, be, the word will not will be uh, challenged. The word will be answered. Isaiah 55. The Bible says, the rain comes down from heaven, so shall my word be. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I send it to do, and it will achieve the assignment for which I sent it. The promise will manifest if the conditions are met. The promise will manifest. If it's pursued with faith and perseverance, it will. He promises it. Time, di time dilation. This is something that's interesting. So this is important. Right? So I'm going to just take a moment on this. Okay. Anybody ever seen the movie um, Interstellar? Did you see the movie Interstellar? Anybody here? That's right. Okay. I love the movie. You like it? So in the movie Interstellar, they go down to a planet near a black hole. I like sci-fi, so pray for me again if it doesn't agree with you. But they go down to a planet on the black hole, and the closer they get to the black hole, the idea of time dilation and relativity means the faster you go, the slower time gets. So theoretically, moving at the speed of light, time stops. That makes sense. I'd say that's biblical. The Bible says that Jesus lighted in him is no darkness at all. He's in eternity. The Bible says that God dwells in unapproachable light. So God dwells in the, time, in the world of timelessness. 
at the speed of light. God is dwelling in a realm. So they would go down to this planet that was near, that had a, had a, a, a faster motion to it. So anyway, they went down, the, and, and what happened was the theory of relativity came into play. So they went down to the planet, and what was an hour on that planet was seven years or something like that back on the ship that they left. So they were there for like three hours, and then when they got back, it had been 20 years. You know, so the, the theory of relativity. And so the deal is, is that when you pray, and God, when God has a promise and God has a purpose to you, to your life, that thing has, has a time bound and has time response. So here's the point. As a believer, this is where Christians struggle a lot of times. We struggle in relationship to the immediacy of our faith, and we struggle to the relationship to the things that seem to take more time. The immediacy of your faith is in the anointing, in the Holy Spirit. You all have the Holy Spirit. Right? When you begin to manifest the anointing, right? Signs and we we practice it here. Let's just use something everybody could agree on. Wisdom. In the anointing, wisdom is immediate. In the in the anointing, clarity, wisdom, purpose, all or wisdom, that stuff's immediate. The laying on of hands. You come to fire starters. We lay hands on the sick and you see immediate responses. You see prophetic activation immediately. The anointing carries the inheritance, and the anointing invokes the immediacy. But Purpose and promise, time-bound, comes from his world. The anointing is the habitation of God with us, the Shekinah, the abiding presence. So we have the anointing, and in the anointing is the immediacy. But in the promise and in the purpose, there's time-bound. So if God dwells in time and God dwells in eternity, when you believe him for a promise and you believe him for purpose, it manifests from his world, but it must travel through time to reach you. Do you understand that? That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. There's something, so a lot of times the enemy will lie. And so Christians think, well, I asked God for this. He promised me this and I didn't get it immediate. Well, there's a reason he didn't get it immediate. Because there's a time, there's a time constraint to that process. That, in that promise, in that purpose, that is not in the anointing. The promise came to you when you were in the anointing. The promise was spoken over you by someone that was in the anointing. But the manifestation of that promise is time bound. It comes through time. Habakkuk, write the vision, make it plain upon tables that they read it may run with it. Though the vision tarries, though the vision takes a long time, wait for it and it will surely come. I've given you a vision, I've given you a purpose, I'm giving you an insight. Write it down, write down what I'm telling you because what I'm speaking to you is time bound. Though that vision seems like it's going to take a while, wait for it, for it will come. You get what I'm trying to tell you? This is all to get you to not quit, that the, what God has spoken what God has promised you, if it's coming from his world, there's a time continuum in between that. There's an immediacy within the anointing. We have an immediacy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? If you're part of this church and you've ever been to anything we do here, you'll realize the anointing. You understand what I'm talking about. You understand the immediate activation and how it activates immediately. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to tarry for it. You don't have to, you know, sing praises. You'll activate immediately because it's yours. That's the anointing. But the promises and the purpose are attached to time. They come from his world. It's a release component that's there. So my thing is, is to wait. Wait for it. He will manifest it in his own time, 1 Timothy 6, who is blessed and the only absolute ruler, Jesus, the King of kings, hallelujah, and the Lord of lords, who alone, I love this line, he alone holds the power of immortality. He alone. Nobody holds the immortal power but Jesus. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he gives it to you. <laughs> Dwelling in unapproachable light. That's what he says. He is bound in so much 
move you through the notes here a little quick. Hebrews 6.13 on the screen here. That's talking about how God has bound his promises by his word and by his character. It says, the one who has promised us guarantees it with two immutable facts. A, that he is good, his nature, and B, that he cannot lie. What he's spoken in his nature. That's how God guarantees his word. He says, I base it upon my character and upon my nature, upon the words that I spoke and upon the character that I carry. He has bound his promises to his word and to his character, but your soul must be anchored. So I'll read that part, verse 19. This hope we have as a soul anchor, both sure and steadfast, which enters into the presence behind the veil. So what does this mean? God gives you a purpose. God gives you a promise. God gives you a dream. God gives you a vision. You're believing God for a dream. You're believing God for a vision. This is what we're called to do. You're believing for someone to get saved. You're believing for your calling. You're believing for purpose. You're believing for destiny. You're believing for something greater than yourself. All of that. And God gives you that vision. But he says your soul has to be anchored. What's your soul? Your mind, will, and emotion. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Your mind wants to quit. Your will wants to quit. Your emotions want to quit. And so the Bible is saying it needs to be anchored down. If a boat's not anchored down, every wave moves it. Right? Tossed about by every wind and wave. Moved. Moved. So God's saying, look, you're going to believe me for the promises. I'm guaranteeing it with my word and my character. I'm guaranteeing these things to you. But you need to anchor down your soul. Your soul has to be anchored. People like results. Jesus likes process. It's just what he does. We want it now. Jesus is like, he likes the process. He's into the process. I'll give you the results, but you got to come. To the, I, mean, I don't like that at all, but nonetheless, let's just talk about this. So you got to anchor down your soul. You need to realize as a human being, right? You're not, you are weak in and of yourself. Just accept it. Just because your mind wants to quit doesn't mean you're ungodly. Just because your will wants to quit doesn't mean you're ungodly. Just because your emotions want to quit doesn't mean you're ungodly. It means you're human. And the Bible's acknowledging that and it's telling you to anchor your soul. One of the ways it tells you to anchor your soul is to enter the presence that's behind the veil. There's two ways we're going to anchor our soul. The first one's right here. Anchor your, anchor your soul, then give us access to the presence behind the veil. The presence of God is going to anchor your soul. You're going to get into his presence. You're going to get into his spirit and you're going to feel a settlement and an anchor come down and you're going to feel more stable. That's one of the ways when everything you start freaking out, you want to quit. Go there. The next one is this. We don't walk there in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And here we go. We have to pull down strongholds. We have to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Agreements in your heart become strongholds. The enemy will lie. He'll reinforce it with a reality to get you to come into an agreement. Once he has you into an agreement, he builds a stronghold. And from the stronghold, he begins to manifest into every area of your life. You believe in your heart, you're not worthy. Who told you that? Did Jesus tell you that? Not in your Bible. You're worthy because he says you're worthy. Yet in your heart, you believe you're not worthy. So there's a stronghold in your life. There's a heart. There's something incepted in your heart that you can't get rid of. And from that stronghold, every time something happens in your life, the devil manifests from that stronghold. See, you're not worthy. See, you're not worthy. See, you're not worthy. You don't believe God's good. There's the stronghold. See, God's not good. See, God's not good. See, God's not good. He's incepted a lie, he builds a stronghold, and he's manifesting in your life from that stronghold. That's how it works. 
becomes the basis of operation in our life. We have to deal with the lies that we believe. We have to ask the questions. Lord, why do I respond that way? You don't believe you're loved. What? Lord, why do I respond that way? You don't believe you're worthy. Lord, why do I respond that way? Kevin, you don't believe I'm good. Kevin, you don't have faith. What do you mean I don't have faith? Look at my life, Lord. That's an argument I've had. I told you the guy's story before. Look, you don't have faith. What do you mean I don't have faith? Look at my life. My whole life's been a life of faith. If you believed what I told you, you would be living differently. If you believed what I told you was going to come to pass, you would not be making the decisions you're making. You would not be doing the indecisive things you're doing if you truly believed it. Because you're acting this way, that's only testimony and proof that you don't know that what I said is true. You're showing me that you don't believe it. That's why it's not coming. It's going to get nice and cold in here. Going to get nice. This is this is real stuff. This is real gospel. This isn't you know Miss Mary Mac. Have a high five. Have a great day. This is real gospel. This is kingdom life applicable things. He said, take down every argument. It's the word logimos. I'm going to close here in a second. Hang on. Almost done. This is a very important point. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to cast down arguments. The word arguments, ready? In the Greek, it's logic. You know what it means? Logic. Cast down your logic. You want to anchor your soul? You want to believe God? You want to manifest the kingdom? Cast down your logic. Because what God tells you is not logical. It's not logical. Okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go into the promised land. First city you encounter, first fruits. That city's Jericho. First fruits belong to me. So I'm going to take the first city. It belongs to me. You guys are going to do the honor of giving it to me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around the walls of the city one time every day for six days. Oh, that's logical. I want you to, on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. That makes sense. On the seventh day, on the seventh trip around, the priest is going to be in the front. He's going to blow the ram's horn. And when he does, I want you guys all to shout. And those huge, monstrous 20-foot walls that you see are going to fall down flat. Oh, that's logical. Is that logical? That's not logical at all. Had they considered the logic of what God was telling them, they would have never done it. Cast down your logic. The other one, it means calculation. God gives you a word and you immediately begin to calculate all of the ways that it's not going to happen. You begin to look at the deficiency, not the sufficiency. You begin to look at the impossible, not the possible. Cast down your calculations. It means personal opinions. So I have to look right in the camera and say this to the church of the America. Your opinion doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When it comes to Jesus, your personal opinion doesn't matter. We have personal opinions. Gives you a vision, God. Well, I think, Lord, and I think this, and I think that. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what you think. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. He's not interested in your personal opinion. He's interested in obedience. There is a communing aspect to the faith in Christ that comes only on the backside of obedience. He will not commune with you and share heart with you and start talking to you about dreams, hopes, and desires until you have demonstrated consistent obedience on the front end. Once you've demonstrated consistent obedience on the front end, you're going to notice that as you commune with the Lord, he's going to start talking to you. I remember he started doing it to me. What do you think? Like, what do I think? What do you mean? What do I think? What, what you, you know, he starts talking to me. What's your ideas? Give me your ideas. Show me what you're thinking. And I started learning and I was like, wow, because before he didn't care about anything and he doesn't care about that. Now, if you've not proven obedience, it doesn't mean anything to him. 
means nothing. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Crickets. Should be above the church of every door of, the, of America. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? He's not interested in anything other than direct obedience. And from obedience, it will lead to intimacy. When he sees you are faithful with little, he will entrust you with much. Your opinion means nothing. Cast down your personal opinions. It doesn't mean anything. Well, I think, and I think, and I think, and I think. I think Jesus is like this. No, I think Jesus is like that. You don't have the right to say any of that. You know him. No right. Like Job, put your hand over your mouth. You speak like a fool. You know nothing. I'll say this. You have to have a vision of something greater than your, than your, than your moment. Or you're going to quit. You have to have a vision of something greater than your life or you're going to quit. You have to see something hopeful. You have to see something life-giving. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. They pass. They die. They give up. They quit. Hopelessness. Despair. We get stuck in a moment. We think this moment is the end of our world. Who told you that? You have to have a vision of something greater. Jesus is the God of the comeback. For every setback, he has a comeback. For the joy that was set before me endured the cross. Jesus had a vision of something greater than the cross. He had something greater than the suffering. It was for the joy, the people that would come to him through the offering that he would make. You are literally his joy. What a beautiful thing. I love this. Caleb. Almost done. Caleb. Joshua and Caleb go in and spy out the land with 12 spies. Ten of them say it's worthless. We can't take it. It's never going to happen. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do it. We can keep it. Caleb walked for a generation of 40 years. 40 years, his entire generation died. Caleb and Joshua remained. The faithless died in the wilderness. God loved them, but they never inherited the promise. The Bible says they didn't mix it with faith. All right? never, they died in the wilderness. Joshua, so then here's a day. Now they're in the promised land. And the Bible tells us that Joshua is now going to start giving out the promised land after 40 years. Right? They now finally have crossed the river. They've crossed, the, crossed, they've crossed over into the promised land, finally. Or they are going to inherit the promised land. And so Caleb's probably in his tent cooking and he hears something. Oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, Joshua's giving out the promises today. What? Dude probably took off. There's probably a line a half a mile long. I guarantee you Caleb pushed through that line and went right to the front. And he said, I was believing God for promises when you were praying with your sister's Barbies. Get out of my way. And he said, I, and he said, I am as strong this day as I was then. Coming in and going out. What preserved Caleb? He had a vision of something greater than the moment. What kept this guy going for 40 years until he received what God told him he could have? He's like, by God, I'm not dying faithless. They can all die faithless, but if I die, I'm going to die believing you for what you told me I could have. And when the day comes, he was the first in line. And God said, look at this guy. I give him Horeb. He gave the most beautiful place in all the land. He gave him Mount Horeb. What a beautiful thing. God's like, you don't even get, you don't get second best, Caleb. You get the best. You get the best. What enabled him to endure? He had to have a vision that's greater than your moment. You have to have something in the future or something that's more meaningful than what you're experiencing right now. Or you won't, you'll want to quit and you won't endure. I encourage myself with, I'm going to stand before Jesus. If this doesn't sober you up and this doesn't get you to motivated, then this, this is, this is, motivators you will stand before the lord and you will get an account for your life motivated yet yeah 
that brings everything into perspective. When I want to quit, I will like, I will not come before you empty handed. I will fight. I will claw. I will scratch. I will do whatever I have, but I will not present myself before this king empty handed. I refuse. Christians are going to be shocked and surprised when they come before him empty handed. They're loved, but they have no reward. They have nothing to offer him. They've offered him nothing. All they've done is a life for themselves. All they've done is their own purposes. All they've done is done, they've done nothing. Nothing. That's what motivates me when I want to quit. Believe me, I want to quit. Oh, my wife, Pastor, I don't understand. Pastoral ministry is incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. It's not difficult from a physical standpoint, but it's difficult in a lot of levels. A lot of levels. Very few can do it. So true. And the Lord tells me that. Kevin, you think this is easy? Look what you do. He encourages me. He tells me to keep going. When you feel like you don't matter. Does the devil lie to you and tell you don't matter? He lies to me and tell me I don't matter. You're the pastor. You're a super spiritual man. Holy Spirit, God's talking to you. Yeah, so is the devil. You're an ineffective you don't matter. Like Nehemiah, look at this little work you have. Dogs can run through. That's what they told Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, it's a great work. And Sanballat laughed at him and said, ha, a dog, a fox could knock that down. That's nothing. So the enemy will lie to you. And he will try to discourage you. And he will try to take everything from you. But you have to lay hold with faith. And you have to push into the promise. And if you will be faithful to what he says... You will inherit it. It will come. Not to obtain the prize. Yesterday's over. This is what Philippians is telling us. The past is over. It's a process. The past is over. Press towards the prize of the upward calling. The great call and a great purpose over your life. There is a great calling and a great purpose over your lives. How do you know? The Bible tells me so. So in Bible school, I was taught by some very smart people. Thank you, Jesus. And one of the principles they taught me was in the mouth of two or more witnesses, the matter's established. If one promise isn't good enough, if it's echoed in several books, you really got a story. And if you find that same echo in the old and the new, you've got an even more solid foundation. So it's not just verse, double down on the verses, it's double down on the testament. And so this, what I just told you there, is in both testaments. That is a guaranteed check that will cash. Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans that I have for you, not to prosper you, but to prosper to give you a hope in the future, as Jeremiah 29. Ephesians 1 says that you were created for good works, good things, good purpose, good beginnings, which God has foreordained from you for the foundation of the earth. You have a purpose on your life. You have something great. God has promised it. You have a destiny over you. That's why the enemy tries to steal it from you, he tries to suppress you, he tries you to mold you in the image of another, he tries to get you to follow ways that he knows are destructive to you, all to keep you from becoming who God has called you to be. It's a fight. It's worth it, man. Come on. It's worth it. Say it with me. I have a destiny. I have a dream. Born in the heart of God. I will pursue it with passion. I will pursue it with faith, obedience, and perseverance. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. Never quit. Amen.